Then after all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even I think it even includes middle-aged men and women as well in there. It's kind of the extremes, right? Uh, in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the, that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. This is the word of the Lord. So some of you know um, I recycle my stories. <laughs> so I use them again. Uh, I, uh, way back when, I used to spend most of my waking hours, it seemed, in a swimming pool. And, uh, you know, did that from when I was young up until when I was in university. I swam um, in the States at a university team. And uh, so I was pretty serious about it. And uh, one Christmas, went on holidays with some of my buddies from the team, and we went from where I was to Minneapolis and Minnesota. And they had been part of a high school swim team. They don't have much of that in Canada, but in the States, it's a big deal. Uh, so even on Christmas holidays, we went to the pool, and the swim team was practicing. And uh, me and my friends went there at, at practice time, and we were at the, on the deck and talked to the coach, and the coach came up to me and the rest of the guys and said, uh, he said to us, so do you have any potential? That was his first words to us. Do you have any potential? I didn't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way. Uh, so being, um, you know, I think I was probably 20 and very insecure and very introverted and uh, being taught by my mother to never blow your own horn, let other people do it. Uh, so I said, no, nope. no potential. <laughs> so he slotted me in the slowest lane, which really kind of ticked me off. Because I swam at, at college and national level at that time, and so I, I was really, you know, even though I said I have no potential, I was pretty good. <laughs> it was way back then. And uh, so I did my best to humiliate each of those guys and girls in that lane, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. But passed them as often as I could, elbow them, you know, gets crowded in those swimming lanes, so elbowing them out of the way and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, it's funny because sometimes we can see the potential in others, but we can't see it in ourselves. At least that's often the way I am. Uh, and uh, so I was very hesitant to say, yes, yeah, I've got some potential. It's kind of a stupid question, actually, really. Who, why would you ask somebody that the first time you meet them or anytime? Because, uh, you know, we, have a, we all have potential. I'm, I never was Michael Phelps good, if you know who he was or he is. Uh, but uh, sometimes we put barriers, sort of self-imposed barriers, upon ourselves about what we can or cannot do uh, or what our potential is or isn't. And uh, sometimes other people put those barriers in our way too. So we can, you know, you and I can probably make a list. I, use, I was pretty good at this. Making a list of uh, things that, that prevent me from doing anything really significant in this world. So... At certain stages in our lives, we might say, I'm too young, can't do anything significant. Or I'm too old, can't do anything significant. Or I'm just a middle-aged person, can't do much significant. Or I'm too shy, 
or I'm not good at much, I don't have a lot of talents, I'm not strong enough, not good-looking good enough, and not smart enough, not from the right family, too poor, too skinny, too fat, on and on and on, right? All of the things that stand in the way of anything significant coming out of my life. I don't know if any of you struggle with those kinds of things. What are the barriers in your life and in my life that often have seemed insurmountable to you? to a significant, fruitful life, whatever the words are that you want to use. Now, um, we know, hopefully, even though uh, it's popular in this world to say, you can do anything. You, try, you, you put your mind to it, you can do anything that you put your mind to. Well, actually, it's not quite true because uh, I could never be an Olympic champion. I wasn't gifted with those kinds of physical gifts to get to that level. I got high as high as I could get, I think. I worked really, really hard at it. Uh, but there were physical limitations. I was never going to be Michael Phelps. I also wanted to be a hockey goaltender. I wonder why. <laughs> in the NHL. My name's Ken Dryden. Some of you remember that. So I wanted to be in the NHL as a goaltender. I didn't do that either. So it didn't matter if people could say, you could do anything. No, actually, there are some things that may not be for me. But sometimes we put barriers, walls in the way of what we can do, or maybe even in the spiritual realm, what God can do in and through you and I. And sometimes that, those walls and those barriers are imposed, whether self-imposed or imposed on us by others. Uh, and so uh, we've been told over and over again that we just, can't, we just can't do it, and we believe that. And sometimes we look at our circumstances, the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and some of those circumstances for you are challenging, difficult, painful, troubling, worrisome, frustrating, whatever it might be, and you think, you think that is just too big of a barrier for me to overcome, that even God can't work in this situation through me. And so uh, we have this story in the book of Joel of a people who, who were oppressed, who were not only oppressed by other nations, but there's a story, just a, it's a wild story of, of uh, this, a plague of locusts that uh, would, had swept into their nation, and uh, I've never been around locusts. I, the closest I get to was our, our years in Saskatchewan, in Regina, in, a hot, in hot summers when sometimes the, the, I think the grasshoppers are the only ones that really liked it, and they just would multiply and multiply and multiply. And I just remember, I have vivid memories of walking uh, to, to the college down the sidewalk and clouds of grasshoppers rising up as, uh, with each step. <laughs> and uh, driving down the road and having grasshoppers climb up my pant leg while I was driving and stuff, stuff like that. You know, it was like a plague. They were everywhere. And, you know, you can't drive on the prairies without having your full whole front of your car just plastered with, at certain times of the year with, with grasshoppers and various other critters. And so uh, that's the closest I get to envisioning what a plague of locusts would be like. But it's kind of like, it's very biblical, Right? And you think about Egypt and the plagues there. And these people in, in Joel's time had experienced a plague. These things had flooded into their nation. It was like an army. In fact, he compares these, these locusts to, to an army with a leader, and they're marching row on row and just overrunning everything in their, in their path. And, and uh, you know, before their path, it's all green and lush and, you know, pastures and trees and everything. And, and behind their path, it's all 
devastation and death and destruction and dryness and there's just they don't leave anything it's all gone they eat it all destroy it all and apparently that's what they do those things still happen uh, even today so in uh, certain parts of the world you can have plagues of locusts and there'll be billions with a B of them in one place and uh, they can cover a thousand square miles just think about that a thousand square miles of locusts and they can consume 40,000 tons of food a day so there's not much left after they come through right if anything and so what devastation can you imagine I, I can hardly imagine it what those people were going through and it's people still go through things like that whether it's a plague of locusts or floods or fires or just absolute destruction and then what do you do you know how do you pick up pieces after that how do you live in the midst of that kind of crisis and so God tells them and talks speaks to his people he says turn to me chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 says, turn to me now while there is time give me your hearts come with fasting weeping and mourning don't tear your clothing in grief but tear your hearts instead remember we talked about the work that God wants to do last week in our hearts you know taking our hearts kind of doing some surgery on that and from Ezekiel talking about hearts that sometimes get all dried up they're just like hearts of stone they aren't responsive to God they aren't responsive to God's word you can't grow anything on them they're just like concrete and then God begins to do a work and he softens our hearts and we're again responsive to him and responsive to his word and so he says you know you can weep and moan and 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 complain about your circumstances all you want but what I want you to do is to turn back to me while there's time give me your hearts I'll do the work that's needed there I'll soften your heart come with uh, fasting let's get serious about this weeping and moaning don't just tear your clothes don't just do the religious thing but tear your hearts instead return to the Lord for he is merciful and compassionate slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love he is eager to to relent and not punish. Is that, is that your view of God? That he's compassionate, slow to ang get angry, filled with unfailing love? He actually wants to relent. He actually wants to restore. He doesn't want to punish. It's not, his, it's not really his desire to do that. But, you know, just like Israel, in, in our lives, I think times of crisis and difficulty have a way of revealing things about us they have a way of revealing what's in our heart what our hearts are like what's the condition of your heart and it has a way of revealing what we believe about God do we believe that God just is just thrilled to punish us he just lives to punish people is that the view of God or do we have a, God, a view of God who's merciful and compassionate abounding and unfailing love eager to relent what is our view but crisis has a way of of uh, putting us in a place where we have to wrestle with those kinds of questions, especially when we're going through these difficult times. What does it reveal about me and my heart? What does it reveal about God and what I believe about Him? And sometimes those crisis times have, it's like a, you know, sometimes we get attached to our sin. I think the people of Israel were attached to their sin and their rebellion, and so they needed the crisis like a crowbar to sort of pry them loose from these things that they trusted in and that they loved and that they held close to themselves. And God, uh, by in and through that crisis, whether he brings it on or it's just, it, you know, others impose it on them, 
That's a tricky one. But God pries us loose from those things, from our sins and our rebellion. And he allows us to come back to him. He calls us back. And he takes our heart and he begins to change it. And it turns it from a hard heart into a heart of flesh, a soft, tender, resilient, responsive heart. God is eager to restore and relent. You see, the, the thing about, we talked about barriers to potential or barriers to doing something significant in our lives. When it comes to the work of the Spirit, the bar- barriers are all on our side. They're not on God's side. The barriers are all on our side. So whether it's unbelief, well, God may do that in someone else or in some other church or in some other place, some other part of the world. That's unbelief. God can't do that in my life. You know, God won't do that in my life. That's unbelief. Or inadequacy is the same kind of thing. I don't, you know, that was what I struggled with when I was in my 20s. It's just that, that sense of inadequacy. I'm not good enough. And so God wants to, you know, that passage in 28 to 32, it's all. What, what don't we believe about that little word all? You know, why do we have to have categories that say, well, all but <laughs> me, or all but him, or all but them, or all but those kinds of people. God can't do this kind of work in them. So whatever the barriers are, they're on our side. But if you allow the tough things in our lives, the crisis, the difficulties, the struggles to loose our grip on the things that we've been trusting in, believing in, other than God, to do the work that needs to be done in our hearts of softening them, making them ready for the Word of God, the work of the Spirit, God can change us. Israel was experiencing kind of an, an agricultural crisis at that time. Uh, there's some hints that maybe it's not just armies of locusts, but there's armies of people from other nations coming in, uh, taking them captive. But there was also, I think, a barren, you know, behind those, whether it's the locusts or whether it's the armies from the, the other nations, what they left behind was destruction and barrenness and, and hopelessness. But there's also a, a barrenness of heart that they needed to be delivered from. So God, in this passage, says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver you from these locusts, the armies of the locusts. I'm going to restore the years that they have robbed from your life. There's going to be a new sense of fruitfulness and joy and rejoicing and praise. And uh, rather than the people of the other nations looking at you as a nation, as a people, and saying, oh, look at them. God abandoned them. He, he no longer cares for them. He never no longer goes with them. He's, he's left them. Uh, they've been filled with shame and disgrace in the eyes of the other nations. And so God, through the prophet Joel, says, you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. So I want to link this now with uh, Pentecost and with the coming of the Holy Spirit. So you think about the disciples, the first followers of Jesus. They weren't prominent. They weren't in the, in the places of power and, and, and great influence. They weren't rich. They weren't necessarily the most, uh, you know, the most intelligent people out there. I'm sure they were smart. Uh, they were just ordinary men and women. 
But on the day of Pentecost, something absolutely amazing happened. So let me just read that from Acts chapter 2. So these men and women were waiting after the ascension of Christ, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice it says everyone? That passage in Joel said everyone began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered here to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking our own native, in our own native tongues. I'm going to skip over... Uh, to the end here. And verse 12 says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. So here they were, and I think in their own minds, in some way, they were, they were saying that either this is not possible, we've never seen anything like this before, we've never uh, experienced something like this, obviously, before. But also here, you know, you're looking at these people, these, pe these disciples from Galilee, and you're saying, well, how could God do something like that through people like them? You know, this is just not, this doesn't, doesn't jive with what we know about how God, or what we think we know about how God works. These aren't sophisticated urbanites from Jerusalem. These are people from Jerusalem, some backwater. And they say, what can it mean? So they had all these walls built up around what they believed uh, these people could accomplish as God worked in them or how God works in the lives of people. And so if you don't understand it, well, you can just discount it, right? Well, they're just drunk. <laughs> they're just drunk. They must have had too much to drink. It's early, but, you know, they must have had too much to drink. So that explains it, right? Uh, Peter says, here's what it means. Here's what this means. Here's what you're just seeing. And he quotes that prophecy uh, from the book of Joel. He stands up before him and says, Those, it's not that they're drunk. Uh, not, no, that what you see before you was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And here's the passage. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my spirits, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. It's, he, God doesn't dis, you use the word discriminate. God doesn't discriminate. It's, it's sort of the whole gamut of human beings, men and women, young and old, servants and free, slaves and free. God's spirit available to all of them. God has, if there were any walls, he's taken down all of those walls. All of the walls that might exist are on our side. All of the barriers are on our side. It's men and women, young and old, slave and free, rich and poor, etc. Uh, Matthew, the Beatitudes, someone mentioned that also in, in prayer, I think. Uh, when you think of that, those, those words, those blessings on people, the blessings that God gives aren't just restricted to uh, men or rich. They are for all people. In fact, in that passage, the ones that, that Jesus 
talks about are the ones that are least likely. Those are ones who are blessed in the kingdom of God. Those are ones who are experiencing the presence of God. And so this is the same kind of thing. This Spirit of God poured out is available to all. God has taken down all of the walls that we might want to build up against the experience of the fullness of the Spirit. So in conclusion, I want to say, ask you some questions. What part of all don't you believe? So it's easy to say, yes, I believe the Holy Spirit is available to all who trust in him. Doesn't matter, race, creed, uh, men, women, young, old, in between, all of those things, those who trust in Christ, that spirit of God is available to all. But sometimes our lives don't show that. We've, we've got our subcategories of all but so-and-so. What barriers have you built up to disqualify yourself and others from the experience of the Spirit? Pour it out. Well, I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't. You know, God could use someone else, but he couldn't use me. Again, that's, that's a hard issue that we need to, to look at. Does God need to do some work there? I'm encouraging you this week to take some time to pray and say, God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to fill me with your spirit? What do you want to do through me? And stop saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. I can't do that. Stop putting barriers in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I've done that too often in my life. We're going to pray together throughout the week. I encourage you to do that. We're going to receive communion today, this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, I want to invite you to come. That invitation is open to all. Again, uh, the gospel is for all nations, for all people. Salvation is available to all through Christ, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Through his uh, body broken on that cross, through his bloodshed, if you trust in him, I'm going to invite you to come and to receive. To take the, the, the bread representing the body of Christ and dip it in the cup and, and eat that with thanksgiving, recognizing that Christ himself is present here with us this morning. So let's pray together. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. And in a moment, I'll invite you to come. Lord God, almighty, merciful, compassionate, God of grace, God of mercy, God of all power, the one that all, who is almighty and yet near, the one who is high and lifted up and yet close to your people. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that you give your spirit and the gifts of your spirit to all. There is no discrimination with you. And so, Father, I pray that we would uh, proclaim that great good news of your spirit available, your salvation available to all. And that, Father, as we trust in you, you will empower us with your spirit and send us out into this world in the name of Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, we come in, in your name. We ask, Lord, that you would search our hearts, that you would prepare us, that you would speak to us even in this time of communion. Father, I thank you that, uh, Lord God, as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord God, we need a fresh and new work of your Spirit in our hearts. 
and where our hearts have become hard, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would soften them. Where our hearts have been rebellious, where we've trusted in everything else except you, I pray, Lord God, that you would call us back, that we would hear your voice in return. And I thank you that you welcome us when we do. And I pray, Lord God, that you, in this time, would just fill us with joy and thanksgiving as we remember your sacrifice for us, the good news of Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, and Christ who sent his spirit upon his people. Lord, may we rejoice in all of those things and live out the message of the gospel. Cleanse us, renew us today. For Christ's sake we pray.